This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. This morning we'll be starting in verse 18. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 18. We've talked a lot about suffering as we've been going through 1 Peter. Um, and I think one of the things we see from 1 Peter is that suffering is normal in the Christian life. Amen? I think we see it in the Bible, and we see it in our lives. Um, you don't have to look far to see suffering. Uh, we can just think about this, this week and what believers are going through in Afghanistan right now. Many of them hiding for their lives. Many of them giving their lives because they follow Jesus. And that's it. Um, and Haiti, what's going on there? I'm sure there are many believers that are suffering in the midst of all that. Um, we have seen throughout the book of First Peter how our suffering helps us to identify with what Jesus did. And actually, Jesus came and He suffered so that he would be able to identify with us. We, we, we can identify with Jesus, identify with His suffering, and we face our suffering the way He did. Uh, just like the passage when we looked at um, how slaves are to respond to their masters, uh, we're, we were being told to walk in Jesus' steps. Um, the way Jesus responded to suffering, we should respond to suffering. Here, um, last week we talked about how um, uh, we are, there's no one there who can harm us if we prove zealous for what is good. Even if they kill us, like what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Even if they kill us, they can't ultimately harm us because we have a future hope. That, that we, our bodies will be raised to life again when Jesus returns and we're going to live forever with Him. Amen? Even if they kill us, they can't hurt us. And, and here, just the, that same kind of pattern we see last week, um, just like we suffer, Jesus also suffered. And we're turning and we're looking at the suffering of Jesus and the pattern that's laid out here before us. What we see in the text before us today, we're going to look at 18 through the end of the chapter, is how the suffering leads to glory. Jesus' suffering leads to glory, and in the same way, our suffering as believers leads to glory. We're going to go ahead and read our text. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison... Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, 
with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus came, that he lived among human beings, and though that he was righteous, he suffered, and he died for us in our place. We thank you, Lord, that you rose him from the dead and he has ascended to sit at the Father's hand. We thank you, Lord, that he intercedes for us today and that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling over his creation even now. And Father, we long for the day that he comes again. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we look into your word. Feed us on your word. Give me strength and grace as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to begin by just kind of backing up and looking at the 10,000 foot view, okay? Uh, Because um, if we just kind of uh, look too closely here, we'll get confused with all the weeds, okay? Because what happens is he starts off with something and then he takes it aside and then he comes back to it in the end. So let's look at this here. It begins with how Christ suffered. He was put to death. He was made alive. And then uh, it it, it goes about how he he went and preached to these spirits in prison, which that's where it kind of gets difficult. And he goes in and explaining a little bit of that. But then he is now uh, seated at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So the overall narrative here, not the narrative, but the overall picture here is of how Christ suffered, he died, he rose again, and he's now seated at the Father's hand. That's the big picture here. And, and in, the, in the latter part of this, we get into some difficult passages. I'll tell you what, verse 18 is actually one of my very favorite verses to preach from. I've many, many times as I've supply preached in different places, I've just preached on verse 18 by itself. And it's one of my favorite passages. I mean, it's like the gospel in a nutshell. But if we're going through the book of first Peter, it's really in the context of this whole section here from 18 to the end of the chapter. And so we're going to deal with all of it. What, what one of my commentaries said as I studied this originally for the first time I preached the passage was, This is probably one of the most difficult passages in all the New Testament. It's hard. There are some really difficult things to understand. So let's let's put on our thinking caps. We're going to start with the easy part here in verse 18. And then we're going to have to wrestle with a few things. Now also, the the, the, uh, verses um, 19 through... Um, 21, there are many, many different positions on here where Christians disagree about. Uh, and and, and it is, it's a difficult passage. I don't think these are things that uh, are, should be divisive. They're things that uh, ultimately we can have different opinions about and still love each other and be a part of the same fellowship together. Um, so uh, I'm, for, for the sake of time, uh, I'm not going to deal with every single position that's out there. I'm just going to say this is how I think that, that it makes sense. And if you're interested in all those other views, be a Berean. 
the Bereans, Paul said, were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Check it out in your Bible. Uh, do some research on your own. See what those other views are and see what makes sense to you. Now we'll dive in. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered. We suffer. We suffer in this life. We suffer things like cancer, things like coronavirus, brain tumors, all kinds of things we suffer in this life. And there, this text is telling us Christ also suffered. Jesus was God in the flesh. He he was the Word who was with God, who was God, and everything that was created was created through Him. And yet, in order to suffer, God became flesh. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He had to lower Himself. He had to humble Himself and become a human being so that He could suffer like we could, like, like we do. He identified with us. So Christ also suffered. When we're suffering, we need to remember that. Christ also suffered. And it will help us as we face our suffering. Christ also suffered once for sins. There's two ideas here. There's the once and there's the for sins. I'm going to deal with both of them. But I'm going to deal with the second one first. He suffered for sins. Jesus' death and suffering was not meaningless. Amen? His suffering and death was a sacrifice. He died for sins. He was a sacrifice. The Old Testament had this sacrificial system where the people would bring all kinds of animals. They would bring lambs and bulls and all kinds of animals. That They would kill these animals and they would be a substitute that would take the place of their sins. Okay? They, they were, there was a sacrificial system that was pointing forward to the fact that Jesus was one day going to be the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sin of the world. And when Jesus died, He suffered for sins. He was a sacrifice. His death was sacrificial. Why was that necessary? Well, the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He teaches us that even in the very early chapters in Genesis chapter 3. You know, Adam and Eve, they had sinned. They, their eyes were open to their neck, nakedness. And what did they do? They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And that was not a sufficient covering. They couldn't cover themselves for, for their own shame and for their own sin. So what did God do? He slaughtered an animal. And God gave them a covering of animal skins. An animal had to die so that their shame would be covered. Right? And in the same way, that points forward to the fact that Jesus was going to come and die so that our sins would be covered. The Old Testament sacrificial system all pointed forward to that. Jesus died as a sacrifice. And He died once for sins. That's the other 
part there. He died once for sins. In the Old Testament, you had this over and over and over again. There were sacrifices for all kinds of things. There were sacrifices for intentional sins. There were sacrifices for unintentional sins. There was, there was the Day of Atonement whenever you would have uh, uh, the, the big, big sacrifice that would cover uh, everyone. And then you would have uh, all kinds of different grain offerings and, and Thanksgiving offerings and all these kinds of sacrifices. And, and, and uh, the, 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 there, there must have been constant sacrifices going on in the temple so that it, it must have smelled like a slaughterhouse in there. It was death and blood all the time. And yet Jesus came and He died. He suffered once for sins. There was an end put to the sacrificial system. Jesus died once for sins. Hebrews tells us uh, that you know, the, the, the Old Testament sacrifice system was, was put away because Jesus died once for all. So, not only did Jesus die as a sacrifice, but it was a sufficient sacrifice. It was a sufficient sacrifice. It, he died for all of our sins. Past, present, and future. Talking about present? Yeah, some just you know, maybe, maybe look at our own mornings as we were getting up this morning and getting ready and everything. Maybe, maybe there was something we did that offended God. Maybe... You know, we stubbed our toe and something came out of our mouth. Past, present, and future sins. He paid it all, like we sang about. Jesus paid it all. He died once for sins. It's sufficient. And then, He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Here we see that it is a substitution. In the Old Testament, you had the animal that would die in the place of the sinner. But David told us that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. All that was pointing forward to the fact that Jesus, He was the righteous one. He was the one who was spotless. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He lived in this human world. He, he lived as a, as a human being. He lived from the, the, being an infant in the, in the womb and, and born, and he grew up as a child. He was an adolescent. He was a teenager. And he grew up as, as a human being. He went through all the same things human beings go through, and he never sinned. He was perfectly righteous. On the other hand, there's us. We are unjust, unrighteous, unholy. We were rebels. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We have offended God in so many ways. We never could have done anything to deserve God's forgiveness. And the righteous one, Jesus, died in our place. He was a substitute. I like the S's there. Sacrificial, sufficient, substitutionary, all those things. Not all of these are S's though. <laughs> he was a substitute for us. He paid our debt. Next thing, the, uh, that He might bring us to God. This is where I get off my S's. He was 
He died for our reconciliation, that He might bring us to God. We were once His enemies, and now we are sons and daughters, that He might bring us to God. That's what Jesus' death accomplished. That's what His suffering accomplished. He died in our place. He was our substitute and He reconciled us to God. We're no longer His enemies. We've been brought from death into life. We've been brought from darkness into light. We have been changed. We've been new creations. We are now, we can call God a friend when we were once His enemies. That He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus' death and His suffering was also victorious. That one's not an S either. He was victorious. He was put to death in the flesh. His body, they nailed to a tree. They they nailed His hands and feet up. They they stuck a sword in His side and blood and water flowed. They they beat Him with that cat of nine tails. They did all of that. He suffered in the flesh, but He was made alive in the Spirit. He died. He was buried. He was put in that tomb. They put the stone in front of the tomb, and yet three days later, the stone rolled away. Amen? The stone rolled away. He was made alive in the Spirit or by the Spirit. Sometimes, you know, when we look at that in the Spirit, we don't want to think that there was some kind of a spiritual resurrection. That, that's not, no, the Bible teaches Jesus physically, bodily, rose from the dead. And I think may it be the, the, the preposition there, in, it's actually pronounced in in Greek too. Um, but that, that has a range of meanings that can also mean by. So I think it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was raised from the dead. The, the, the Romans also talks about how the Father rose Jesus from the dead. So I think the Spirit was involved there too. He was put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. Now here we get to the hard part. Verse 19. In which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Okay, what's that about? <laughs> what's that about? Why, why is, why, it's, that seems kind of foreign to us. Why, why is Peter now talking about this? You never wonder what happened there uh, between the cross and the resurrection. Um, this is one of those things where there's different views on, on what this text exactly means. And I'm not going to spell out all those different views. I'm going to basically lay it out how I, I, I believe it is. Um, the Apostles' Creed. Many have heard of it. Uh, um, um, Rich Mullins has a song that quotes it. If you know Rich Mullins, he, he, it's, uh, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and Maker of earth. And, and I, I've been able to memorize a lot of the, the uh, Apostles' Creed because of that. But in the Apostles' Creed, it says that He went to hell. Jesus went to hell. Okay? It's an ancient idea. Now, Jesus... Uh, there's false teachers today that will say Jesus had to go to hell and then suffer there in order to 
for us to be forgiven. I think that's a wrong way to look at it. If Jesus went to hell in between the cross and the resurrection, it was not in order to suffer more. The cross was enough. His death on the cross, His facing the wrath of God on the cross for us was enough. He didn't have to then go and, and, and face hell for us. It was enough that He died in our place. Instead, it says here, He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. I think whenever He descended into hell, this was a... a, a he went and did this, what it says right here. He went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison. Now, who are they? Who are these spirits now in prison? That raises another big question. Well, what does all this mean? This is a, you can tell how this is a difficult text. And, and, and it gives us a, a hint of who these spirits are. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Okay? These spirits in prison, it has something to do with the days of Noah. Now, what could that be? So I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 6 that tells us about the time of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, before we really get to the Noah story, it tells us this. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120. The Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterward. afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So there's been question also about this text in the Old Testament. Who are the sons of God and the daughters of man and all that? What's that all about? I think Peter is talking about them here. Now, the sons of God is a term that only shows up in a few places in the Old Testament. In the other places it shows up in the Old Testament, it's talking about angelic beings. I'm I'm, I'm taking the shortcut here. I'm not going to give a full explanation of everything because we'd be here for hours. Okay, But basically, my view is that In that Genesis 6 passage, the sons of God that went and had children with the daughters of man are are angelic beings. They're fallen angels. You can disagree with that. You can check it out. Be a Berean, like I said. Be a Berean. Check it out. See what the other views are. But that's what seems to make sense to me. That these fallen angels had, uh, had relations with human women. Then children were born to them. And, and this is one of the things that was the evil and the wickedness that came to the time of the fall. And when the flood came, it destroyed all the human beings, but it didn't destroy these fallen angels. And so these fallen angels were then taken and put in some kind of a prison that they were held. And I think this is what this refers to. Jesus, when he descended into hell, he went to this place and he proclaimed victory over them. He says, you're beaten. You're defeated. 
He went and proclaimed to these fallen angels. And when it says proclaimed here, it's not using the word for preaching the gospel, euangelion, the, the, the gospel preaching. He's using the word for a general heralding. Just, just like, like a, what a, what, with the old newsboys that would say, extra, extra, read all about it, you know, that kind of heralding. Uh, and so he's, he's, I think that after the cross, Jesus descended into hell and he proclaimed victory over all the evil powers. That's what I think this text is talking about. That's difficult. There's different views on it. You don't have to agree with me and that's fine. <laughs> Check it out for yourselves. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. That's, that's why I think that's what, the, that's what the case is. These spirits in prison, they had something to do with the days of Noah. Then he kind of changes course again. In which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Here's another difficult thing. I thought that was tough. Here's another difficult thing. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal from, of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. This is tough. You all know, I'm a Baptist. This isn't a Baptist church. What is it that divides Baptists from Church of Christ historically? I'm not talking about what you all think or anything like that, but historically, it's things like this verse. <laughs> Baptism now saves you, is what this verse says. And as a Baptist, I want to say, no, we're not saved by baptism. That, I'm just saying this is what I would say. We're not saved by baptism. We're saved by our faith in Christ and we are baptized out of obedience to his command. That's, that's how I would say things, okay? I'm, I'm, my Baptist colors are coming out here, okay? Um, this is what I would say to this text. What I, I believe this is teaching. Baptism, which corresponds to this, when it says corresponds, this is uh, using a word for a type, uh, a type uh, like, you know, there are types of Christ. There's figures in the Old Testament that, that have similarities that are pointing forward to, to Christ. We think maybe of like Joseph. Joseph was someone who uh, um, some have seen similarities between their lives. Samson, you know, he was somebody who, who, who was uh, someone who, he was a savior of God's people. You know, even though Sa Samson was, a, was a, a, a failure in a lot of ways. He, in, one, in one way, he, he, he was a, a point, someone who was pointing forward to the savior who was to come and, and die for his people. Um, and there's all these types, these patterns of, uh, of something that we see in the Old Testament that points forward. And, and here it's using this typological, this simple, uh, symbolic language. Baptism corresponds to this. It's a, it's a picture. Which corresponds to this. Now, how does it, is it a picture of the flood? It corresponds to this. The this would be the flood. Okay, how is it that baptism is similar to the flood? The flood, okay, was the waters coming down and and flooding the earth, and it was the, the, the waters were the destruction that came, right? The waters were the destruction, and it was 
the people who were in the ark that were saved, right? And so baptism is like that in that when we are baptized, we are going down into the water, into the death and destruction. And when we are raised, we are saved. And the only way to be saved through going it through the water is to be in the ark, which is Jesus. You have to be in Christ. And, and I, that, this is a difficult text. <laughs> so I think that's how baptism points to, uh, is similar to the flood. In baptism, we are going down under the water. It's not that uh, the waters of the flood were not washing the earth clean. It was destroying and death. And in the same way, when we are baptized, the water is death. We are, 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 we're lowered down into the water. It symbolizes our death with Jesus. And then when we're raised, it pictures our new life that he has raised us from the dead. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we have raised to live a new life. Okay? I hope all this makes sense. And so that's how baptism is kind of like the flood. Now, baptism, um, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And then it says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. So here, I think um, Peter is, is uh, he's anticipating someone will think, well, it's the act of baptism that saves a person. It's, it's not some kind of a mechanical thing where you go under the water and it washes away everything. It's not, it's not removal of flesh from, filth from the flesh. But... What baptism is, it's not some kind of a mechanical thing. It is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Look at what it says here. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. So when we come and we're baptized, it is a public demonstration that we are appealing to God for a good conscience. We're saying we are identifying with Jesus. In his death, burial, and resurrection. We're appealing to God for a good conscience. Um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not in some kind of a work we do, but it's looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Just like, and that, that's another part of baptism. The resurrection is a part of the baptism. We go under the water, symbolizing our death to our old man. We're raised. Just like Jesus was raised, raised to a new life. Um, then finally, here in the last verse, that's where it gets back onto track. So it started off in verse 18. Jesus suffered for sins once for, uh, once for all, uh, the, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now we get back to where he, the, the original uh, thought pattern here. Who has gone into heaven. Not only did he raise, but he ascended to heaven. We see this in the book of Acts in chapter 1. He ascended into heaven. He's now at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of God. And he, he is seated there with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. There, there is no other power on earth that you can think of that is higher than maybe an angelic being, right? And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and every power that you can imagine is subject to him. So the pattern that we see throughout this text is Jesus suffering, his death, 
was the pathway to glory. He went through all of that he went through, and now he is seated at the right hand of God, and everything is subject to him. Suffering was the pathway to glory. Now, how that fits in the context of 1 Peter as a whole, we live in a hostile world. We live in the time between the times when between the cross and the return of Christ, and we live in this already not yet condition where we have been redeemed, we are sons and daughters of God, and yet we live in a hostile world where we wait the blessed hope when He returns again. And in this hostile world, we're going to face suffering of all different kinds. And how are we going to face that suffering? We remember Christ also suffered. His suffering was the pathway to glory, and our suffering is also the pathway to glory. When we suffer, we look to Jesus and we trust He is good. We trust that whatever we're going through, even if we are believers in Afghanistan right now who are waiting for the Taliban to come and shoot you, we know that our suffering will one day result in a future glory will be raised and there will no longer be any suffering, no longer be any pain, no longer be any sickness, no longer be any death. Jesus will wipe away every tear. Just like Jesus' suffering was the pathway to glory, our suffering is also the pathway to glory. So when you face suffering this week, think about this text. Jesus also suffered for sins once for all. And that suffering led to glory. And your suffering will do the same. Christ will use your suffering to form His image in you. And one day, there'll be an end to all the suffering. 